Let's pray and look at uh, chapter 2. Father God, I thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to come and study your word. I know that it is not a good night to be out. And I know the weather's been bad here and we're tired of the clouds and the rain. And we don't want to get wet. And it's inconvenient. But Father, I, my mind right now is going to New Orleans. And those surrounding areas in Louisiana that just keeps getting pounded and pounded and pounded by hurricanes. And they can't even clean up from one before the next begins. So Father, I just pray that our energy and effort, that we would quit complaining about our situation and we would lift up our brothers and sisters below us. And Father, we would pray for them. So Father, whatever assistance they need, I know we're not there. And I know we can't physically help them uh, in the moment, but Father, we just want to lift up our voices and cry out to you, Father, tonight that you would be the defender, be the provider, be the protector, be the sustainer, and Father, give them hope. And then show us how we can serve. So Father, I just pray you'd be with those people that are bracing for impact and they're trying to withstand the storm. As we open your word now, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Show us how to be like you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Alright, so we're up to chapter 2, verse 5. And we're going to read this section here. It's incredible work. From Paul, it, it kind of gives us an early. Give, it really give, gave the early church a hymn or a creed to use in worship. Y'all familiar with creeds? Um, early church, and we'll get there in a second. Use creeds to remind them of the basics of the faith. This hymn here is dynamic and provides clarity and unity on the work of Jesus. It begins with God reigning in eternity. So, if you look at verse five. In 6, we see God enthroned in eternity, and then we see down in verse 11 that God is still reigning in eternity. And then there's a hinge. So if you think of these verses uh, with that natural psalm hymn shape, it's like a V. We start with God reigning on one side, we descend down to verse 9, and then we begin to rise back up to verse 11, and we'll piece that apart as we go in the next few moments. The hymn provides us with a healthy dose of Christology, while at the same time emphasizing the practical application of humility. So we're going to learn a lot about Jesus, and we're going to learn a lot about humility in the next couple of verses. Incredible section to memorize. So if you are working with us to memorize Philippians, uh, if you miss anything, don't miss this section. Make sure you memorize this section. Uh, theologian D.A. Carson shared five perspectives of the cross from this passage. So he, and I should have given this to you to put on the screen, and I apologize for that. Five perspectives of the cross. We see God's perspective as Jesus died to atone for our sins. So God is sending his son Jesus to die for our sins. We see Christ's perspective as Jesus is obeying the Father perfectly and sacrificing himself. We see Satan's perspective in this hymn as it signals 
Satan's defeat through Jesus' work on the cross. We see sin, sin's perspective in that the cross is the means by which our debt is paid. And we also see our perspective here in the next few verses. The cross provides us with a standard of behavior to follow. So we've got uh, so many different dynamics in this passage, and we could chew on this for a while. But we've got to, we've got to remember, and we're going to talk about some nuances of the faith. But Paul, writing this section, is not trying to start an argument. And the, if we remember what we just read, like the argument has already began. There's already a contention and fighting going on in the church. So he's not writing this to stir a debate or a controversy, but he's trying to provide the listener with a pattern for which to follow, how they should live their lives. So, you know, I, as I read this passage, I think about, you know, we were the other day, we were painting pumpkins or carving pumpkins. Have y'all ever, like, traced off a pattern and, like, cut off a pattern? It's important that you follow the dots, right? to stay on the right spot. I don't know anything about sewing, but I think that's what you do with some stuff, quilting, I don't know. But I just keep thinking about, okay, Jesus provides the outline for which we should live. The question is, can we cut on the line? <laughs> or can we color within the lines? So anyway, so let's jump into verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who... Existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Let me just be real honest with you, and it's been a debate, or it's been a discussion I've had with staff this week. I don't like the Holman right here. Um, I would much rather memorize this section in another translation. So if you don't like it, I'm right there with you. So it's just kind of where I am. I don't like that word exploited there. We'll get there. Uh, verse 7, instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Again, wording here. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So here's the section. So let's jump in. When you think about your attitude, and from time to time we all need an attitude adjustment, don't we? Like, there's a church member recently that, I don't know if I want to tell that story. We're going to move on. I'll tell it. There's a church member that found... A secret about me recently because I have a tendency and it's kind of bled off into other areas when I watch the Razorback game like I have to have an area to vent and so like I've taken to Twitter to post my thoughts and feelings about the hogs and I was called out by a church member recently that they read my posts uh, on a recent Razorback game, so I've learned to tone it down a little bit and not make my opinions so public. What does your attitude reflect about you? What about your mindset? What you think about during the day or the attitude you have about things? I know the last few days for me it's been hard because 
The weather's gloomy and you just don't feel like doing anything. What does your attitude reflect about you? At heart, whether it's your attitude or your mindset, if it's on anything other than Christ, you need to adjust it. Remember, we're following the pattern. So if we get outside of the pattern, we've got to course correct and get back in. And I think that's often. There's often, you know, we get up in the mornings and we're grumpy and we don't want to get up and go to school or go to work and do the things we need to do. We need a whole lot of coffee. We need an attitude adjustment during those times. And the reality is, what's always the standard? Jesus. I mean, it's simple. And, you know, when it comes to the election, we talk about all kinds of stuff on promoting candidates or who you're going to vote for and what makes the decision. Uh, we have to remember the standard for everything is Jesus and Scripture. So we have to base our decisions off of that. We should strive to reflect His attitude in our lives. Jesus' attitude is reflected, though, in His humility, as we see in this passage. In this hymn, we discover three parts of Christ's humility. His renunciation, His incarnation, and His crucifixion. And we're going to go slowly through these, okay? So we're going to start with His renunciation. We see we're commanded... There's no way I'm going to make it through this section. We are commanded in verse 5 to do what? Adopt the attitude that was in Christ, right? We are to pattern our lives after Jesus. Verse 6 tells us that Jesus existed in the form of God. And he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. I like, I don't know what your Bible says. I prefer the term grasp, held on to, is really what that word is speaking of. Uh, looky there. That's much better. Grasp, I love that. We see here, the verse 6, this renunciation. Here Paul establishes Jesus' pre-existence. We see his preeminence in this passage. The fact that Jesus was with God in the beginning. And we read other scripture that confirms that. But Paul's telling us here that we should adopt Christ's attitude, verse 5. Verse 6, he establishes the truth that Jesus was with God. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as something to be exploited or grasped or held on to. Jesus has no point of origin. We think, oh, duh, that makes sense, but that's significant. And it's something the church and faith argues over. But Scripture here tells us he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. You know, it's, I think it's important for us to not only remember that he was pre existent. but that he is still that way today. Like he's constant. And this weekend we're going to look at a verse that defines God as a rock. Like he doesn't change. I think that's comforting. It should be comforting to us. Because there's so much that changes around us. Circumstances, situations, ideologies, perspectives, culture. 
God never changes. He's constant. We see here in verse 6 that Jesus existed in the beginning in the form of God, but he didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped. We see that renunciation right there. Jesus gave up something in order to come to earth. We see his humility by giving up his rights. In the form of God, he didn't take that equality with God as something to be held tightly to, but instead he opened his hand and he gave it up. And we're going to find out why here in just a minute. Jesus had humility and he gave up his rights. He lived open-handed and displaying how to be generous. So as we read this section, as we meditate on this passage, there's a question that we can ask ourselves. And, and it, re it really centers on that last word in this verse. Are you a grasper or are you a giver? And we could probably end the night right there. Verse 5 tells us to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ. Why? Jesus, understanding that he is preexistent, he was in the form of God, but he didn't think that equality or that position, that place in the form of God was something to be held on to, a grasper. And I think there's, we could preach a whole message on whether you're a grasper or a giver. And that's two different perspectives on life. I think we could go out in public and we could identify quickly the people that are graspers and the people that are givers. It's just a different way of living, isn't it? What attitude should we have? What kind of life should we live? How should we pattern our uh, mindset? Well, we see here that Jesus lived open-handed, that he was a, gener a giver, he was generous. So we see that renunciation here. Let's move on to the incarnation. Maybe we'll get to the heresies and then stop. So verse 5 tells us to adopt Christ's attitude, and Paul establishes the truth that Jesus was in the form of God, but he gave it up. Verse 7, instead, he emptied himself, so he took the form of God and set it aside, and he assumed the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and, and then he came as a man. So we'll... Anybody have a period at the end of that verse? Or a, who has... Somebody have a comma? Yeah. Again, period's good, isn't it? I, 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 there's this, the CSB has a comma. It just kind of ends awkwardly there. Um, instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. So we see Christ in the form of God, and then open-handedly giving that up and assuming the form of humanity. We see truth that Jesus existed As a deity, as God, but also as a man. He took on the nature of man, fully human. You know, studying church history, and I've, I've gone way down that black hole uh, this fall. Looking at church history, we see very clearly that as soon as the early church was established and began to grow, the church had a problem. And that was, what did they believe about Christ? And an argument 
ensued on what was Jesus or who was Jesus? What is the nature of Christ? And so people argue and debate and they make decisions and they think, okay, I believe Jesus is this, I believe Jesus is that. Most notably, it's whether or not Jesus was fully God or whether or not Jesus was fully man. And that kind of drew a line in the sand for so many people. And then we see church councils and synods arise and we have these big meetings where people debate and try to decide which position they should fall on and which should the church uh, support. Uh, we see the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. They defended the position that Jesus was fully God. So that was really the first decision that was made. Uh, this council at Nicaea, I don't know if you've heard of the Nicene Creed, a creed that a lot of us still recite even today, establishes or leaned on the decision that Jesus was fully God. And that kind of leans on Philippians 2.6. But that didn't stop the debate. And there were councils that came after. Uh, there was Chalcedon, and there were so many other ones in 451 that, that came up. But really, when it came to this debate, there were, there were really six heresies that kind of developed and dominated the culture. Uh, so I want to, we'll look at these real quick, and then we'll end, and then we'll pick up with the rest next week. I'm sorry. I thought I could do it, but I can't. Um, the six heresies that kind of developed trying to understand who Jesus was, whether he was fully God, fully man, or a mixture of the two. The first one is Ebionism. First heresy is Ebionism. Ebionism believed, or they denied, the divine nature of Christ. So they said Jesus was not divine. He was just a man. Ebionism, that's one heresy. Heresy number two, Arianism, and was really the opposite side in the Council of Nicaea. Uh, they denied the fullness of the deity of Christ. So a similar heresy. Uh, the third one, deceticism. They denied the humanity of Jesus. So we've got, we've got people following along the line, whether they believe in the deity of Christ, whether they believe in the humanity, or deny one or both, or neither. Apollinarianism, another one, they denied the full humanity of Jesus. So we've got... Uh, the Ebians that, that denied the divine nature and the Arians that denied the fullness of the divine nature. You think we're messed up today. I mean, it's crazy. And then you got the asceticism that denied the humanity and Apollinarians de denied the full humanity. The Nestorians denied the unity of the nature in one person. So there's no way Jesus could have been unified fully God and fully man in one person. And then Eutychianism really denied the distinction of the natures. That Jesus could have two distinct natures within one person. So we have all these arguments that go on in the early church trying to decide who Jesus is and who he is not, whether he's God, whether he's man, why does it matter, Finally, we have the Council of Chalcedon, 451, that affirms Jesus' full humanity and his full deity and rejects these heresies. So why does that matter to you? Or maybe you've fallen asleep already. Or you're totally confused. That's okay. Let, let's just focus in on what Scripture says here.
Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, tells us to adopt Christ's attitude. In verse 6, what did Jesus do? Existing in the form of God. Fully God. Jesus. Didn't think that was something that he should hold on to, but instead verse 7 tells us that he gave it up and took on the form of man. To pay a price for us. So we've got the renunciation. Jesus gives up his standing in heaven. And he becomes the incarnation as fully man. So yes, what do we believe? We believe Jesus is fully divine. And he's fully human. He is the perfect person. To come. And save us. And we'll get there. We'll look at a... I mean, contrast between Adam... And Jesus, and how that fits perfectly together uh, next week. Here's a question for you It should be the game changer is what do you believe about Jesus? And, and kind of a basic of Bible study when we read Scripture. And you read any kind of passage, especially something like this, telling you to do something. Ask the question, do I believe this? And if I do, how should it change the way I live? And the simple answer for these three verses is, are you a grasper or are you a giver? What kind of attitude did Jesus have? He gave up everything for you. So what should you do? Give up everything for him or for your fellow man. I mean, that's, that's the simple answer there. But I think it's a good question we can ask ourselves over and over again. <clears throat> Do you believe Jesus is God in the flesh, fully man who died for your sins, and how should that change the way you should live? Or should it? It makes all the difference for me. I know that there's a lot going on right now in the world and there's a lot of big decisions that are in the balance. But let's just rest. Let's just rest in the truth that God never changes. <laughs> and the leadership and the power in our country and our world changes. And we don't have a clue what's going to happen to us when we walk out these doors but we can rest in the truth that God never changes. And that's what, I think that's what having relationships matter. If you have a good friend, you know you have good friends or you have a loved one that's always going to be there for you no matter what. There's comfort in that, right? And just know that God never changes and He's always going to be there. Just bank on Jesus. The form of God, steadfast, consistent, is always going to be there. Not only that, but He is a giver, and he gave everything up for you. So we'll pick up in verse 7 next week. And again, I apologize. It's, no, verse 8, but it's good stuff, so we'll get there. We'll, we'll wrap it up next week. So let's pray, and then we will transition into executive team. Father God, I thank you so much for uh, the opportunity you've given us to study your word and the chance that we have to just kind of let that soak into our hearts. 
And so I, I know that you're in control and you have a plan. So there's a reason why we didn't make it all the way through this week. And I just pray that these verses that we've read tonight, uh, I pray that they would just sit on our hearts and that you would continue to work in us uh, through them, reminding us that uh, we should have a goal. We should have an objective to follow after Jesus. And that we should uh, follow after his example that he's provided. Father, we thank you for your willingness to give him up. And Jesus, thank you so much for dying for us. So Father, when we are disobedient children, forgive us and teach us your ways. In your son's name we pray. Amen.